0: hoping that today's message is going to connect with some of you. It's um, it's on worry. Does that resonate? (laughs) A couple of you. Um, No, it's good. I think God is so timely. God has this way of showing up and giving us the meal that we need and um, just praying that for today. I I was thinking as I saw Gary walk in and Gary and Lisa. We've got a couple of chiropractors, Jordan's here, uh, that sometimes we need this adjustment, right? We just sort of get out of alignment. I think so much of what this whole Sermon on the Mount is doing is adjusting us where we have gotten sort of out of sorts, bringing us back into proper functioning, proper alignment. And what we talked about last Sunday was this idea of the treasures of our hearts that what we treasure, that these things are forming us into who we're going to become. We talked a little bit about the psalm where it's talking about those that are worshiping idols become like them, right? You're worshiping these things that can't speak, that can't see, that can't hear. And that as you do, you're losing your ability to speak and to see and to hear. That what we worship forms us, and that when this is focused right, it's actually bringing us to life. When it's out of alignment, it's leading us towards death. And thinking about these things that we, that we worship, that we treasure, Jesus, on a really practical level, goes, why are you worshiping these things that are just going to rust away? And we know this, living close to the water, that, um, that things deteriorate here even more rapidly. But um, it doesn't stop us, does it, from sort of collecting things that sit out and rust? I um, read an article in the New York Times this last week that said um, you can't take it with it with you. You can't take it with you, but you can put it in storage. <laughs> there, and this is like staggering. Do you know how much money Americans spend on storage? Forty billion dollars a year on storage. And you think about that, like these receptacles full of stuff you never go into, but you might need it someday, right? And we just keep packing our houses until they're overflowing with stuff and then paying for storage units that we don't need. My goodness, like what we treasure. No wonder Jesus says this stuff eventually owns us. The burden of perpetuating all of this, right? It ends up becoming all that occupies our minds and hearts. That our lives is spent serving these things. And our passage last week ends with this, you know, Jesus holds this kind of idea out, this sort of either or, and says, you got to pick. You either serve God or you serve what he calls mammon, money, earthly treasures, these possessions, that in the end you will serve one or the other. Most of us spend our time trying to come up with a sort of hybrid version of these two things, right? How do we sort of hold on to both? A little bit of possessions, or maybe a lot of possessions, and a lot of God, and that'll sort of balance the two things out. When in fact, these are like oil and water, that our heart is going one way or the other. And even as followers of Christ, how easy it is for that attention to shift, which is where we need the adjustment. We need somebody to set us right. And so Jesus is going to do that today in our passage. He's going to say, you've got to keep the first things first, and then all these things fall into order. So understanding first things, understanding what we're to be focused on, is going to bring us not only into a, a sort of eternal destiny, but as it turns out, makes it so that we can actually value the things in life. We really can taste the food. We can hear the music. Our eyes are drawn to the beauty. Let me read our passage. It's a familiar one. In fact, there's probably no passage like during COVID, COVID that I quoted more than this passage in Matthew 6:25 through 34. But hear these verses, these familiar words, and um, may they be fresh for us this morning. And I think if there ever was a relevant passage of scripture for us today, it's this, a sermon on anxiety. And if you look at statistics, there has never been a time where our world has been more anxious. And especially here in our country, we're, we're not number one for anxiety, we're number two. That uh, somehow Australia beats us out, which kind of threw me off a little bit, but I didn't see that coming. But But we are, as a country, so anxious. So anxious and yet in so many ways unaware of our anxiety. And that we plow through life seeking after things that we think are somehow gonna satiate this underlying fear. And anxiety is this, it's simply excessive worry. Does that ring true with anyone? Excessive worry overly concerned about money, health, family, work, politics, our future, whatever these things are, that to be worried about life, some of that's a right response to reality, right? We look out and we see trouble, but excessive worry, there's something more going on, there's a pattern that's formed in us, something that Jesus is trying to draw our awareness to, a pattern that's, that's misaligning us, that's leading us away from the truth, not closer to. I read this simple definition of worry, that it's to give way to anxiety or unease. And I like that, this idea, because I think some anxiety, especially from the standpoint of like a mental disorder, there's not a whole lot of control and that there's ways, thankfully, that that can be treated. But, but this idea that Jesus is hitting on, I think, is this idea of us giving way, that our, we, in a sense, turn our hearts towards this, turn our minds towards worry. And sometimes I think we do it because it's fun, <laughs> that it, it's like solving a puzzle or something like that. Except the problem is with worry that what we find is that it degenerates, doesn't it? Uh, that we think we're going to solve something, and and what we end up doing is creating scenarios around that, gravitating towards sort of worst-case scenarios, and letting those things sit heavy, not just on our minds but on our hearts, until we feel this. They call it anticipatory grief when you're worrying. You're experiencing the pain of what might happen. I know this one guy who like will go back and even replay conversations that he's had trying to come up with like a different outcome thinking if that ever that conversation were to happen again he'd know just what to say that's me actually (laughs) (laughs) like what what a waste of time that is And yet there's somehow something that I'm trying to manage when I do that, some way of kind of controlling outcomes. And what causes us to worry? I think the answer to that is is just simply stress. And that in life, there's an unavoidable stress that we experience. Jesus is even mentioning that. Like each day has enough trouble, enough stress, right? Right? And managing stress, this is a part of life. In fact, this is what helps us grow. I think sometimes we think, oh, if God was good, he would just prevent stress in my life. He would keep those things from happening. Why doesn't God protect me from the crises that hit? And and the truth is, these crises are what cause us to expand, to to see sides of ourselves that we never even knew. Crises can bring out the best in us. Jesus even says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And anxiety here is something different. It has everything to do. I think it, you know, Jesus is following this up with treasures, and it's almost like the flip side of treasures. Treasures is this longing, if I just had this thing, right, that next, like we've joked about that, next Amazon package, right, that's going to give me that sort of rush of endorphins, like, here it is, happiness in a box, and then disappointment, but um, over and over and over, right? But this is almost the flip side of what we treasure. You have those that have, and how those treasures corrupt, but then you have those that have not, or worry about having not, not enough. And so again, this is a distortion. This is treasuring the wrong things or, or depending on the wrong things. And when we feel this sort of stress and we focus on it too much and it builds this anxiety, we have to manage it somehow. And so we choose all sorts of terrible things, right? We eat too much, too many funions, or whatever it is. Or we buy stuff we don't need to fill our storage containers with. We self-medicate. We criticize ourselves or others. We live in denial. We Google obsessively. Anybody do that? Like, oh, I feel a little pain. wonder what that is. And then, you know, self-diagnose and then self-medicate. Gosh, we drive too fast. We were driving the other night, Friday night, and... um, on pch and some guy it's traffic some guy's flying through traffic at like 80 miles an hour right i mean just swerving just missing people as he goes and you're like what is that all about right can you imagine getting inside that mind some of you are like oh that might have been me but um this thing inside of us right the the heart that's just going and going and going thats like i gotta hurry wherever even if i'm going nowhere i've got to hurry to get there I was reading these statistics on worry, and um, they're like so enlightening, but so depressing. Like 40% of what we worry about never happens. Never happens. 30% of what we worry about already has happened. To do that, you like go back into old scenarios and replay and get stuck in, and like you're Hearts burdened over stuff that's not, it's, it's in the past, and we're still stuck there. That's 70%. They're saying, on top of that, 22% of what we worry about is just trivial. It's just meaningless stuff, needless concerns, things that when they happen, we realize we're just no big deal all along, which leads like 8% in our lives that's worth figuring out, right? It's probably 8% of our lives that's worth worrying about. I was listening to one person, and they're like, you know what you should do? Just schedule that. Like, Friday, 10 to 10.30, I'm going to worry. <laughs> right? Hey, it's, not, it's not a bad idea. I mean, think about it. Just defer those things. Like, ooh, not going to worry about this. I'm doing that Friday. That's my day to worry. <laughs> and just for that 30 minutes, right? And you wonder how many things would just disappear just simply by doing that. Right? Schedule. If you get one takeaway from today, schedule 30 minutes of worry a week. Just kidding. That's, but, um, but there's not a bad hack to that, right? But most of us, if we're honest, our minds are constantly coming back to things. At the most random times, it's constantly just sort of below the surface. I'll find myself doing it and I'll think, Jeff, stop. Stop. And then like literally five minutes later, I catch myself right back in it. There's a writer, Francis O'Gorman, who wrote a book titled Worry. And he says, worry is circular. He writes, it may start with a concrete anxiety that I lock the back door. Is this headache a stroke? And it has a nasty habit of making off on its own, of getting out of hand, of spawning thoughts that are related to the original worry and which make it worse. This is what we do with our anxiety. Is cre- we create crises. We take these little molehills and turn them into mountains, don't we? And as we spiral through all of this stuff, all of these deep worries, right, that you just see life itself being drained out of us, we're becoming dull. We're losing our ability to see. Worry is getting us stuck in this total hypothetical world. Like the statistics say, 92% of which is not gonna occur. But I wonder if in a way what we're doing is creating this sort of hell on earth for ourselves. C.S. Lewis writes this book on the afterlife called The Great Divorce. Has anybody read The Great Divorce? And in there, it's this idea of hell is something that we sort of choose for ourselves. That, that we do this already. And he has this great example in there where there's people, they're down in this, they, you end up in this gray town where everybody's sort of a ghost. And people live there for a little while, but they get sick of each other, and they just keep moving further and further away and farther and farther, distant from each other. And these two guys go to find Napoleon. And they finally do. They travel way out into the distance and find him in this little house he's built for himself. And Lewis, the way he writes this, Napoleon's just in there pacing back and forth, back and forth, it was Russia's fault. No, no, it was England's fault, right? He's stuck in this. It was Josephine's fault. And he, he's stuck in these ideas of like who to blame. Almost like the afterlife, Jesus just frees us to continue choosing the things that enslave us. There's something heavy about that, isn't there? The way that we do this to ourselves and you see Jesus going, oh, wake up which in so many ways is what repentance means. Let your eyes be open to see beyond. Our lives are shrinking into our self-obsession and our self-worry. And you see Jesus pleading with the people. He says, oh, ye of little faith, which is a term that they think Jesus coined. And it actually is a term of such affection that it means, oh, my little my little doubters, right? Which is how Jesus, I think, sees us when we're stuck in this place is with such compassion. Oh, my little worrier. But the truth is, this is dulling us. It's turning us into what we worship. David Brooks says this, pretty soon you're seeing the world through a dirty windshield. Worry dims every sunrise and amplifies mistrust. The mounting tide of anxiety makes people angrier about society and more darkly pessimistic about the possibility of changing it. Spiraling worry is the perverted underside of rationality. We get so stuck in our minds, right? In solving these dilemmas that are way beyond us. And we have Jesus saying, like, listen, you can let go of this. Why? Because I'm here. I see I'm your shepherd. If we're not careful, we get stuck in these chronic patterns. But the good news is we can break these things. We can choose different directions to focus our hearts and our minds upon. That when we get the treasures right, they lead us towards the truth. And so Jesus says this, focus on the birds and the flowers. Which can sound really like a hallmark card, right? But but it's not a bad place to begin, and it reminds us of all that's going on that we don't see. There's plenty of things that we, Patty and I, worry about. But one of those things right now, one of like the greatest graces in our lives, is the fact that we've got flowers going crazy in our garden. Way to go, Patty. Um, But we laugh about this going like she shakes her head, going like we just threw some seeds in the ground, and bam, right? These flowers that have blossomed in our front yard that are like each so unique and beautiful. And Patty keeps bringing in these flower arrangements, but if I'm being totally honest, I I so often just walk right past them. And Patty will have to go, did you see my new arrangement? And I'm like, oh, that's new. (laughs) It's it's like the worst thing you could say. And, and to, but you stop and go like, oh my gosh, right? As your eyes focus in on the color and the intricacy and the beauty. Which is why I think Jesus points to these things, this just beauty blossoming all around us. That one of the ways that we break worry is focusing on beauty. And there's a lot of ways that we can do this. I think music does this. Exercise does this, laughing does this, creativity does this, it brings us back, it opens our eyes to this present moment, which is why I think God has filled this world with beauty. Dolphins swimming by, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, look at that. All these things that should connect that beauty to the designer that is right here and right now present with us. God shows us these things and goes, if I care for them, how much more do I care for you? But there's a sobering part of this too. We look at these things and realize that tomorrow they'll be gone and are reminded in a similar way, so will we. That We live in a world filled with beauty, but we also live in a world that is short. We're here for a moment that we notice that the flowers are going to wilt in a few days. But all of us, compared to eternity, our lives are about the lifespan of a banana, right? It's just quick that, that this life goes really fast. I think one of the greatest goals of the devil is to get us to waste it, this precious gift. Jesus reminds us that each day is hard, each day has enough trouble, but that we have the strength for that trouble, but not more than that. So often we're bearing more than we should. We're picking up things that Jesus is saying, I never asked you to pick that up, right? My burden is easy. My burden is light. And that's because Jesus is yoked with us. He's giving us the strength He's helping pull that with us. But when we pick up all this extra junk and try to carry that too, Jesus is saying, drop that stuff, you guys. Sometimes I think we pray like, God, just take away the discomfort. And and, and I think that really a better prayer might be, God, give me the strength to bear what you've given me to bear. I read this week this idea that discomfort is the, the price of admission to a meaningful life. And this is the truth, that God gives us oftentimes more than we think we can bear. I had this moment, I was thinking about this with, I've been doing workouts with Raya in the park, and he's really good at it, by the way. If you need somebody to motivate you, this is your guy. But the other day, he showed up, and he had these, he's putting out these weights, and I was going to do this chest brace, and he's like, oh, Jeff, these ones are for you. And I was like, man, why do I have to lift the heavy ones, right? Like, but then there's this part of me, too, that's like, oh, wait, I want to, right? That, that when we have a God who's handing us a little bit heavier weight, he's going, no, 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 right? This is good. He's not giving us more than we can handle. He's pushing us beyond what we think we can do. Finding this right place of connection, the 8% is going to push us. It's going to challenge us, but it's going to make us grow, When we try to just rid our lives of comfort, we end up in a whole different sort of suffering, don't we? Like boredom. Have you ever reached that point where you've sort of figured out all the problems that you need to figure out? And then what do you do? This I read too from David Brooks. He says "It, it leads to this pervasive cosmic unease, the anxiety that you don't quite understand the meaning of life or if not surrendered to some all-encompassing commitment that would bring coherence and peace. And what comes to mind is when you reach, when you've got this life where you've achieved all the things that the world has to offer you and give, there's like nothing left to do. So what do you do? You build rocket ships and fly up into space for $250,000 a seat, right? What do you do when you have all the money in the world Maybe the answer is up there, right? I'm gonna build myself a rocket in this like space race. Like, you know, Bezos just got beat by a few days. He's almost there. Like who, I wanna be the first guy up there in my own rocket ship. Maybe then I'll be happy. And this is the thing that when we chase these things of earth, when we make those our focus, when that becomes our chief treasure, everything just sort of ends up with misalignment Are you following me? I lost some of you, I apologize. when we treasure the wrong things, when we're worrying about this life, when we actually get that thing that we think we want, it doesn't satisfy us. And Jesus is reminding us, you need to let go of the worry, let go of the anxiety, and focus on the things that really matter. Focus on the first things. When you do that, you get all this stuff. It all follows suit. But when you seek second things first, you lose it all. They don't give you what they, like, promise. I was thinking about, like, the way that this reality comes and just hits us right in the face in the middle of our lives. This unavoidable sort of midlife crisis where we attain the things we think are going to give us Happiness only to find out that they're thin and shallow. What do we do next? God's saying, realign your hearts with the things that matter most. Get your focus back on the things that are eternal. Forget the treasures that are going to rust and go after the things that matter most. And this work is like this reversal of the spiral, right? That worry takes us deeper and deeper into this place of despair, but, but God is getting us to shift back and he's saying it begins with this choice, who are you gonna serve? And I love this, are you gonna serve God or are you gonna serve man? It, it, it's this matter of the will. goes, God, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus has taught us how to do this in a prayer, right? My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we just click back in. Not my will, but your will be done. It's taking these things I'm clutching, dropping them, and then receiving what God would have for me. And this is this choice, and it takes trust, and it takes faith. We look at the beauty around us and see God's nature and go, yeah, but what about the really big things? And God said, if I'm faithful in these little things, I'll be faithful in the large things. I noticed this in my life where God has this way of answering small, little prayers. Do you notice this too? That so often it's the little things where God shows up and says, if I see this, you can trust me with the big things even in these small little things, I'm there. So put first things first. C.S. Lewis says this, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first from which it would follow that the question, what things are first is of concern, not only to philosophers, but to everyone. What is the first thing? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added. This is how we get our lives back on track. And scripture is filled with these little progressions. It's like these little ways out of the pit. That when we adjust, it's not just like a one-time deal. It's this sort of building our way back out. Peter's second epistle, he writes this. In verses three through eight, His divine power has ground, granted us, granted to us, sorry, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Let me read that again. Jesus earlier in this sermon has said like when your life is aligned you start to shine right your eyes are clear your body is filled with light and you start to shine that light to others this is the blessed life is this escaping from your inner self-obsession into an others-focused worldview No longer serving yourself, but a life free to love and serve others. That is the blessed life. This idea of letting your faith then pursue virtue, right? What is the fruit of the kingdom? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss one? Faithfulness. Thanks, Patty. We build this fruit, right? This is what we pursue. These are the things that our life should be manifesting. When people think of Christians, this is what they should think. This is the fruit. This is what it should taste like. That when we live in that place, we live in the knowledge of this kingdom. And that knowledge is not like some information it's what we know because we see it again and again confirmed it's it's relational knowledge it, our life is represented by the reality of this kingdom every single day and i like how peter is going to say in this progression you have to stick with it you have to keep building and so build into your life the practices that are going to allow you to thrive it's not just about stopping worrying right but it's about then what we dwell on, what we set our hearts on, that we are to be consumed with that, consumed with God's kingdom, thinking about his calling, his invitation. I remember reading one time, they're saying every successful person in this world has a morning ritual. Everyone, whoever it is, from Steve Jobs to, you know, whoever, Jeff Bezos, they all have this morning ritual where they set their minds on what matters most. And for a lot of people, what matters is themselves, right? Their success, their achievements. But the truth is our day is shaped by what we dwell on first. They're saying anybody that achieves any level of success tends to delay looking at their cell phone for an hour. Anybody guilty of like, I mean, it's so easy to pick up your phone, you turn off your alarm and you're like, what email did I get, right? And you're immediately like into the worry, or you pick up your news feed, I wonder what happened yesterday, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow, we get stuck in the worry. And I think one of the best things to do is Peter's talking about building self-control. He's saying, wake up and set your minds on what matters. Wake up and set your mind on God's kingdom. To wake up and let that be the food that you consume first. And I think we're often afraid of ritual because it can feel lifeless, right? But, but simply this idea of, of a pattern. And it's not so you can check a box and go, look, I'm a good person, look what I did. It's a way of instead dwelling on those things that are going to then shape the rest of your day. And there's so many ways you can do this. Some people pick up Jesus Calling, or they'll read Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, or they'll read Oswald Chamber, um, My Utmost for His Highest. Any of these things that draw us in. There's even some great apps. There's one that I like called Lexio Three Six Five that just takes a passage of Scripture. And you could be making coffee, right? Like your, your other, the, the ritual that really like, wakes you up in the morning, right? Is anybody like me, I go to sleep thinking about coffee the next day. <laughs> but, but you could take these rituals, even incorporate them in ways of shifting your mind to God's kingdom. Taking this time to dwell and focus on God's word, to hear these truths, to let them remind us where we're going this day. I love this idea as we go through the day of our prayers being like these ideas of breath prayers. Have you heard this idea? That it's a way, you know, breathing has this way of incredibly like just calming you down when you're anxious, but to turn that breathing into a prayer. It's a fantastic verse that some of you have probably memorized, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, that says, do not worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then traditionally in early days of Christianity, this was even simplified down into this simple prayer that they would say. They would say, be anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything. Thankful in anything, peace. Anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, thankful in anything, peace. And as we draw into this scripture, we're being drawn into the presence of God. God who was there all along, but so often we get stuck and can't see, right? Our vision shrinks. But as these prayers fill our hearts, the presence of God is there, a God who, like Jesus says here, knows what you need. And these verses, this is why I think memorizing Scripture is so helpful, because throughout our day, it lets us pull our minds and our hearts back into alignment. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Right? Let those words anchor you God is saying nothing. What are you worried about? Nothing can separate you from my love. Not even death. And you're like, like breathe that truth in. Let that calm your heart. This idea of thankful in anything. It's part of the power of gratitude, right? We turn our hearts to what God has done. His faithfulness. We set those things upon our mind. Those become the things we treasure. And as we treasure those things, it shapes us into that very thing. Paul writes, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But more than that, even, well, I don't know if more than that, but along with that, as you focus on those things, you will become true and honorable and just, pure, lovely, commendable. This is like the glory of God that happens in this place of surrender. That our lives, as we turn toward beauty, become beautiful and that beauty leads us to goodness and that goodness leads us to truth. So Peter says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And these truths, we can hold them. And sometimes when the worry comes, maybe all we can muster is something it's simpler than that, and yet God will meet us in that prayer as well. Anne Lamott says, the two best prayers I know are, help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but these ways, again, of aligning our hearts with first things, setting our hearts on that trajectory, all these other things will fall into place. And in that place, we can hear and we can see And what we hear is a God who just comes alongside and goes, oh, my little worrier. I've got you, Jeff. I know what you need. I've given you not more than you can bear. I'll carry it with you. And when we know this, this is just my prayer for us as a church that, that not only would we know this, but that our hearts would then respond as in Peter's trajectory with brotherly affection, and with hearts of love. This is the ultimate fruit. This is what we're being fr- set free from, a heart so turned inward to ourselves and breaking everything to a heart turned outward, experiencing the blessing of being filled with God's love and giving it to others. I was thinking we just close for, with a prayer. Well, I've got a couple little going forward questions for you. Let me hit those first. In closing, going forward. What can you do to orient your day towards God's kingdom? Think about that for a second. Is there something that you could do each morning that will align your heart, your goals, your mind with God's kingdom first? What practices will keep you focused on that? Number two, what worries and anxieties are distracting you throughout the day? Which ones can be simply laid aside? Which ones need to be cast on God? Peter just says, cast those things on God. He cares for you. Some of those things we lay down, some of those things we just throw, right? They're like too much for us and God's going, throw that to me. Let me carry that. And number three, how can you turn your gaze away from self to see through God's eyes the needs of the world around you? How can you choose to bring blessing to those in need? And this is the gift, again. It frees us to our mission. It frees us to living lives of deep meaning, that our lives poured out in generosity, just like God's. So I was thinking we would close with a prayer, and I just want to give you the opportunity to make a, a decision this week because I think commitments are super important. We're told in Scripture, choose today who you'll serve. And I, I think that this ought to be a daily prayer. This was helpful to me because I grew up a little evangelical kid. It was decisions all the time, right? And I would constantly go, did it stick last time? If not, I want to pray again. I want to pray again. I want to pray again. Out of fear. And I, and I think, I don't know how healthy that is. I mean, maybe to a point. But, but this idea of going, no, 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 that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Marcia told me it's not a sinner's prayer, it's a believer's prayer. Is that good? Like this is what I believe I'm in. So I'm gonna just lead us in a prayer. You can bow your heads. And if this is what you want, I would just encourage you to raise your hand. This is what I want, God. I said, God, my heart is so divided. My fears reveal my insecurity and lack of trust. My thoughts reveal my self reliance and self obsession. God, I give you my heart. I lay down my will for your will. God, cleanse me. Forgive me. Make me clean. Let me desire what you desire. Let me see through your eyes. Let me think your hot thoughts. Lead me in the way I should go. Give me courage to become who you made me to be. Amen.